Hello and welcome to the Aligned Leader Podcast. I'm Daniel Jordi and I'm your host. And on the Aligned Leader, we feature some of the most cutting edge technology CEOs and digital executives in Switzerland in order to empower next generation entrepreneurs to cut their learning curve and in order to establish Switzerland as a global digital innovation hub. Okay, hello everyone. We have Doff with us today. So first of all, thank you so much for making the time in your busy schedule. I really appreciate it. I know it's not easy to get hold of you. You're flying around all the time. So let's just get started right away and not waste any time. So we're just going to jump right into it. You're going to tell us a little bit about who you are. I think it's a much easier way of doing it than if I just give you the, just give everyone the whole bio. So Doff, tell us a little bit about your personal background. Okay, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk, uh, to talk to you, uh, Daniel. Now, my personal background, it's very simple. I, I'm building companies. I bring them to a certain size, try to make them profitable, and then usually somebody comes and buys them. I think I finished with that now. <laughs> to be more serious, I'm a, my education is engineering. I'm actually very strange in engineering. I'm a lens survivor. I have an MBA in, uh, from INSEAD. I worked uh, since, uh, INSEAD, since I did INSEAD in different functions. Uh, among others, I was a CFO of uh, Sandoz uh, Switzerland, which is today Novartis. Uh, and then I moved to a certain point of time, I understood that it, it's not a lot of fun to work for other people. It's more fun to work for, to work for yourself. That's actually when I started my first company. It was a paging company in Austria. I assume in the youth generation, uh, paging will look to you like something very strange, but it was one of the main mobile communication platform for many, many years. It was these small boxes that you had on your belt, and when somebody wanted to send you a message, you would get a message uh, or a number, please call this number. So we sold that company to Telenor after two and something years. Uh, I have to remark here, all my companies, I did always with my partner, which is also my wife, and. Uh, we do it together, and uh, uh, most of the cases, she's the chairman, and I, I have to work. <laughs> um, but I will tell you that sometimes it's not the, the case. Um, so we, we had the AirPage, which we sold to Telenor, the incumbent operate, operator of Norway. Uh, I started another company following to, uh, to uh, AirPage. It was uh, in 1997. It was shortly before the liberalization of the European uh, telecom market. That means from 1997 on, there was uh, the possibility to have uh, to offer voice in competition to the incumbent operators. I was looking for a very strong partner because uh, you need a lot of money where to be to install the very big switches at that time. And each switch, it's again a technological history. It was costing five to ten million dollars. I found one. It was a very fascinating company, RSLcom. It, it was a company that was founded by. Ronald Loder, the son of Esti Loder. Uh, we started to operate in uh, Austria, and very soon uh, the group ASLCOM uh, went public on Nasdaq and uh, became a multi-billion uh, operation, and Austria was part of that, uh, that group. Followed to that was uh, the first uh, free ISP in Central Europe. Uh, I, I went to the UK, I saw what uh, there was a local company which offered the free ISP. We're still talking about the narrowband internet. So you got a CD-ROM, you went, you put it into your desktop computer. You had these uh, small modems which were doing 
signals uh, again historical uh, history of technology um, and we joined forces with MediaMarkt. It was a fascinating partnership. It was one of the most fascinating partnership. Anat was the CEO of that company. I had the pleasure to be the, the chairman. And uh, within less than two years, we had 1.4 million subscribers in five countries in Europe. So we were really a big player in that uh, sector. And in 2001, a company called the uh, if I, remember, I will remember the name in a moment, uh, that was founded by Renato So, an Italian uh, gentleman, Tiscali. Decided to buy us, they bought us, and uh, that was the uh, third exit. So first one was AirPage, selling to Telenor, second one was going public with uh, RSLcom on Nasdaq, and then came Tiscali and bought our operations in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Finland. Uh, that was the first time I thought about uh, retiring. <laughs> it lasted uh, something like five or six months <laughs> after my children came to tell me, Daddy, you even didn't know that we got to school, so please stop asking us if we have done our homework. <laughs> so uh, I looked for another, and nobody wanted to employ me, so I'm a really unemployable person. <laughs> so the next company, it was, uh, it was the high of the WiMAX technology. Uh, we got license and licenses in Croatia, Slovakia, and Austria. We rolled out a WiMAX in those three countries. It was a very, very nice project. It was a very profitable project. We did uh, very nicely. We, we really changed the landscape of internet uh, connectivity in uh, in Austria and certainly in Slovakia. You know, it's 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 a great feeling when you know that what you have done has changed, has helped people to, to have uh, the next step in the personal development and technological develop, development, development of a country. An American a public traded company came to see us uh, called Nextwave, they came, they acquired us, and uh, I stayed for another year as, uh, as chairperson, not anymore as the CEO of the company, as chairperson of the company, chairman of the company, and uh, then I retired from the uh, operations. And uh, at the same time, more or less, uh, I came across some people from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa who didn't uh, give up on convincing me to, to come for a visit with them. And I did the big mistake and I went with them and to Cameroon and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> tell us about that history. Tell us a little bit about you, me. I mean, we have the wonderful banner there in the background. So, so tell us a little bit about you, me, what it is and, and why you started it. Um, I went to Cameroon. Um, because I was invited, I went to the Hilton and I asked if they have internet, they told me they have internet and when I measured it, it was a really broadband internet, 156 uh, or 128 uh, kilobit uh, wow. internet. And that was the perception in, uh, was in 2009, that was the perception locally that that's broadband internet. I met a gentleman, a local entrepreneur, and, uh, approximately my age, and he told me that he has a project and then I asked him how does he intend to connect the project to, the, to his uh, customers and he didn't have a clue. So uh, we started to talk we, and we checked how to get a license. We, we got the licenses, we got the spectrum, we established a first, the first WiMAX operations locally, actually with the intention to, to serve his project, but very quickly we started to, to have a request from hundreds of people if they can connect to our network. So we opened the network to everybody, we, start, we opened the showroom, we started to sell, and uh, today we have 30,000 subscribers in uh, Cameroon, 
We are broadband device, we are the number one operator. Uh, yes, and it's a company which today employs over 100 people in, uh, in Cameroon. We are covering the two major cities in Cameroon. One is called uh, Douala, that's the economical capital, and the other one is Yaoundé, that's the political capital. Together they have approximately 8, eight million people, but they're making over 80% of the GDP of the country with uh, slightly above 20 million uh, population. So that's, that was the beginning. Mm. That was my first encounter with, uh, with Africa. Mm. I fell in love in the situation. I really liked it, the, the challenges, the, the processes to get, to get uh, the regulator convinced to do something because by then it was just talking to MTN, to Orange and to the incumbent operator. Mm. So there was some uh, some crazy companies from uh, Switzerland, <laughs> which didn't have uh, 15,000 or 20,000 employees. We just said we were four people in the company then, but he liked it. We, we had a good uh, chemistry, and uh, we developed the country. We developed the operations. I started to like very much Africa. I looked around. I found uh, a good partner in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, where we are today. With the first, it was not not anymore. It, the first one, but we were the first LTE operator in West Africa. And today we operate a 4G network exceeding the quality of any 4G network that you would see in continental Europe. Wow. That's, you know, it's really, it's really impressive what you've built there. You know, going a little bit back to the start, to the beginning of, of UMI, how did you get the business off the ground? How did you, how did you get started? <laughs> um, you, you must have very thick skin, as, and as, as you see, I have a lot of it. <laughs> and secondly, that's probably the, you must be very patient. Hmm. Sub-Saharan Africa has nothing in common with our normal perception of doing business, of our expectation, our less of, a, of a, a capabilities to, to understand the, our counterpart. So everything, all the values and all the understanding of business that I, I, I had uh, acquired over my, uh, my years of being an entrepreneur and before, uh, I kept them, but I had to learn many new ones. And to accustom to this environment is something which requires a lot of uh, willingness to do that. You don't, you don't come to an office and say, that's your duty to give me the, the document. I say, I would do it in Switzerland when I go to the to the office to have a passport, and I will tell them, by law, you are obliged to give me the passport, I don't know, within seven days. And if, they, if it takes eight days, you write them a complaint letter, and so on. They will tell you it takes 10 days, and after a month or two months, it's still not there. It's not because of the lack of understanding, the lack of willingness, but they have a totally different attitude to the value of time. One of my preferred uh, saying that I heard from my Cameroonian colleagues was, you Swiss, you have the watches, but we Cameroonian, we have the time. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so having to adapt to this, this type of environment, mm -hmm. being ca capable to understand that nobody will take a decision by himself. Mm -hmm. It's a society and even the, it's an economical uh, environment where there is always a consent. Even the CEO of the company will not take this uh, decision alone. He will see if it's uh, if it's fit, uh, whatever is happening in their operations. Those very uh, different cultural uh, and business behaviors, something you have to learn, you have to adapt it, uh, you have to, to have a lot of patience. Patience is probably the, the most important uh, 
a quality you have to learn, which is not a big uh, quality that we are having in our Western uh, world. Uh, developing a personal relationship with people, you have to work on it. You, you can't learn it out of the books. It's not something you go to Harvard or to INSEAD and you have a class how to do business in Africa, you go out and you know it. <laughs> now, probably one of the most, uh, most uh, interesting uh, learnings for me in the region is the fact that you cannot offend people. <coughs> if somebody is not doing his job properly, you cannot tell him what you did is, uh, is stupid, what you did is worth nothing. You, have to, you must have a certain politeness. The other side of this coin is something fascinating. You have to excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. What you hear where we are used to a social welfare environment. What does it mean? I'm fine for my job. I'm going to the unemployment authorities and I get my unemployment benefits for six months, 12 months, whatever. I'm, getting, I'm sick, I get my sickness day compensation so that if my employer doesn't pay my salary after a certain period, the state will do that. It doesn't exist in Africa. In Africa, if you are out of job, you're out of job and you don't have income. Mm -hmm. So the family, the people who are close to you will support you. So what, what, uh, I, what this type of social responsibility of each individual is something new and you have to adapt to this environment. So even if you fire somebody, it can be a top manager, which is doing a lot of money, or a simple uh, driver, which is making very little money. You must understand even more, the moment that you fire him, you are cutting his direct family, but probably his indirect family. So his sister-in-law and his brother-in-law. And we did the statistics in our company that an average salary is feeding between 15 and 20 people in average. Wow. So all those, those uh, factors, once you learn them and you know how to, uh, to, uh, to behave, helps you very strongly to, uh, to develop a business yeah. in, the, in the region. Well, yeah, completely, completely new market, completely new culture and everything. You know, I can imagine there's, you know, tons and tons of new challenges you never faced before. So, you know, just curious, you, you said you basically went to 30,000 subscribers now. Uh, with you mean so how did you go from zero to 30,000 like how did that look like um, it's a um, first of all uh, we have today two countries in total we have uh, 35,000 subscribers one country only five that's in Cote d'Ivoire we started there only mid of uh, last year and uh, Cameroon we are there since uh, mid 2011 now uh, we moved into the country and we decided to apply a classical marketing approach that we have learned with the, me with the tools and means which are adapted to the, to the region. So the, it's not TV spots, it's a very little radio spot, but you have to do a street banner. So over the, over the roads, you have big banners with the advertisement. And if you want to differentiate yourself, then you have to learn how, how do the local street banners look like and what ca can you do differently. Mm -hmm. So it was the quality of the graphic uh, work, it was the, the very strong color of Yumi, red, a simple uh, word Yumi, not something very sophisticated. Uh, the message must have been very, very uh, clear what we give, because internet is not something people uh, knew. 
until today, three or four years after starting the operations, a lot of our customers don't have the culture of topping up every month. Mm-hmm. You have to call them, to tell them, hi, dear customers, why didn't you top up this month? And say, ah, oh, right, I forgot it. So internet is not part of the day-to-day culture. So it's really to understand how do you, how do you manage, you put a call center, which is, was something totally new for the customer. So they call and somebody is picking up. If you would do what uh, companies in Europe or in, mainly in Switzerland, you know, you, you call uh, some of the incumbent operators and you wait for 10 minutes on the line. No African would wait more than one minute on the line. It would hang up. Um, because the culture is, I communicate, I get an answer. I don't get an answer, means the other side doesn't want to communicate with us. And that actually was the big, uh, the big disadvantage of our com- competition. So we put a customer care, which answers within, uh, I think, an average, uh, slightly above 60 seconds uh, every call, uh, very friendly, calling back. So the, the culture of commitment is very, very, uh, or is still underdeveloped. So you have to learn your team, you promise, you keep it, you fulfill the, the promise. All those, uh, all those very simple uh, qualifications allows allowed us to move from zero to thirty thousand subscribers. Okay, so you know, it, it seems to me that you you spent a lot of time studying. You spent a lot of time studying the culture, the people, and everything. I mean, you, you didn't just go there and run a bunch of adverts and just you know you know do some kind of marketing that you would usually do in the U.S. or in Switzerland or whatever. You you went there and you studied people. You you looked at how do they communicate. I mean, you know, with with this little, I mean, little with this really important thing that you mentioned before. You know, no African would wait more than one minute on the line. You know, with this, you were able to differentiate yourself from the competition. So you really went in there and you studied how do things work? How are the things in the local market? And I think that applies to a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, who want to break into a new market, a country, can that be? But also, you know, somebody who wants to, you know, some, maybe somebody has never been, uh, never built a business in, you know, for example, education or telecoms. Um, and, you know, if they've never done it before, instead of rushing into it, you know, study it first and really um, like get a grasp on on how how do things work? How do people work in this field and everything, right? One one of the I grew up in many countries. I grew up uh, among others in the Middle East, in Europe, and so on. And I and I've learned that uh, two important uh, lessons for my uh, young career, which is. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, exceeding uh, 35 years in the in being in the business, uh, but I've learned a few things, and or the the major one are the following. Our values it doesn't matter Germany, Switzerland, France, North America have nothing to do with the values that other people have. So if we think that uh, uh, our values are the right one, I mean, I have to correct you. There are one billion people in uh, Africa. Average age is below 20. Mm-hmm. Their values differ dramatically from ours. They are willing to cross desert to die. They are willing to to go on boats when it's a, it's a inhuman situation to draw. To, to lose uh, their life and of the friends which are with them on the boat and then to land in some European countries to make some money. They don't do it for themselves. They do it for the families that they have left behind. They have 
the value of responsibility that we have lost here since many generations. I will come back to your question in a moment. So mm -hmm. uh, my wife uh, told me about a Nigerian uh, writer. She's now reading her second book. And the critics, just to think about that, the critics said that finally African literature has achieved the, the level of a well-established international literature. Is it really well-established international literature? Or is it our perception that we are the center of the world and our literature is, uh, is the right one? Yeah. African literature exists since many thousands of years, verbally and in, in, in writing. So we have to put aside all the perceptions we have. We have to go locally. And what I heard when I started, and believe me, I didn't know anything about Africa. What I knew, I, I, I watched on BBC or whatever, uh, news channels and uh, so on. And, uh, and everybody told me, you need the expert. The Africans, they don't understand, they don't, they don't know, they hear, they, they, are, they are like that negatively, they are like this negatively. A lot of uh, red flags. So, listening to companies which are successful in Africa, we hired experts, we hired a country manager expert. The biggest mistake I did in my uh, in my project Human Africa uh, concentrated about human resources mm -hmm. was to bring expert to functions which we should have used locally because the net the value of local networks you can't evaluate it with money. When I want when there is a tender and even if the tender is based on the, some criteria which we accept as right one. At the end of the day, if you, as a, as a vendor, you don't have the right connection with the, with the state organization who is doing the, the tender, you don't have a chance even to come to the first round. Even if your prices are good and they are competitive and so why? Because if somebody who has the, the, the local people and the local people are convinced that what they are offering is the right product, they will fight for you, they will really spend every free minute and every free cent to convince the, the people in the government. And because the, the elite, and the elite I'm talking people who finish the university, high school, people which are in, the, in permanent jobs and so on, it's, I'm not talking about any uh, financial elite or any political elite, I'm talking people who are the, in this famous pyramid of social, uh, of social responsibility in the A class or the B class. These people, they, have, they know each other. And if they don't know each other, they will find somebody who knows it. We need LinkedIn. They go and they talk to the father, talk to the father-in-law, talk to the father-in-law. And these are the LinkedIn of uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. At the end of the day, to do business in Africa, eventually you need a, 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 an expert for the finance because the level of finance that you have, you are obliged to provide to investors can, can't be fulfilled by anybody locally because they, they have a totally different system. But sales, marketing, don't touch an uh, expert. Look for the local one. You are going to be disappointed, but you are going to be disappointed because your value don't, don't match their value, because, but their value are the right values for the market. Mm -hmm. So uh, many mistakes, a lot of money, but uh, these mistakes uh, have costs. 
but that's uh, the, the way. That's how we did my, uh, our, we learned our business. So very little academical uh, studies. Do, uh, learning by doing, learning by burning your fingers, and we burned a lot of fingers when we were there. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like that. It sounds like you learned a lot of a lot of new lessons from from this new experience in a new culture, in a new country, completely new market. So uh, I want to go a little bit more into details about you know the growth phase of of the business. Can you can you give us a little more details about how you you know grew that you know business to thirty five thousand uh, subscribers? Like, did you mainly go through partnerships? Did you mainly go through you know like directly customers through the banner ads? Or how did yes. how did you how did you do all of this? This I'm talk, we're talking about a total new territory. Internet is a new ter territory for all of uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. The internet penetration in Sub-Saharan Africa is still very very slow. It's, uh, it's it it doesn't it doesn't happen in in, in large waves. It's, it's very very slow, and it's very low. That's uh, the result. So to bring in customers, you really have to convince people that uh, what you are what you're offering makes sense. So we established showrooms all over the place uh, where people could come in, try internet. So we have people who are spending there three four hours. It's okay. It's part of our marketing. Uh, we have now customers who are coming to our showrooms every every day during the lunch break to do some uh, some email. It doesn't matter. It's not it's not that we are giving free of charge internet service, but we are bringing our message to people who can who are going to be multiplier of our service. Mm -hmm. So the the showrooms and the street banners were a very important part of our growth. A very important uh, I think very important. A resistance uh, breaker was uh, our activity, which is uh, more on the corporate social responsibility. Uh, I knew the president of the University of Douala. It's a university which has uh, 80,000 uh, or 70 or 80,000 uh, students. It's one of the largest universities of Africa. And I went to visit him because uh, that's what you do with friends. And then I found out the university doesn't, doesn't have internet. Now, my kids which are going to university or to school, they are spending half of the day on the internet for studying, for chatting, for whatever. Um, they didn't have internet. So I proposed to him to, to, uh, to cover the, inter the, the university with uh, some uh, Wi-Fi. I can tell you later on an anecdote about uh, corporate uh, social responsibility, what I think about that today. In any case, uh, we established, we put it, we, we, we deployed a Wi-Fi network. Oh, I think we deployed 30, 40 uh, Wi-Fi hotspots. And miracle, wow, student could use for almost for free internet on campus. Mm. And real internet, high-speed internet. By doing that, it's the word spread around, TV showed that, newspapers wrote about that. All the bloggers, uh, what about that? Which is still, even if every blogger would write about you, because so, so little people are, uh, are on the net, the impact is not that uh, huge, but it's an impact which goes immediately on the opinion leaders. Mm -hmm. So other students in other universities saw that. Uh, uh, other bloggers read it. So they started to tell the around. And at the end of the day, the result was that uh, uh, we had a very nice code do this, this type of activities. So we didn't put uh, billboards all over the all over the cities. We didn't put uh, we didn't open in every corner some uh, some uh, showroom. 
where it specifically is a space for shows that were attractive enough to, to bring people in. Last but not least, you have to show that you are innovating. You have to constantly to bring innovating. As you may know, Africa is today the driving force globally for a mobile payment. There are, here we're talking about it. In Kenya, the economy works on mobile payment meanwhile. It's a fantastic company called Empeza, which introduced a mobile payment in every part of the economy. So you, you pay for, for the, the chewing gum when you buy it for the 10 cents, or you get your salary from mobile payment. So it's, it's incredibly to see how the population of a country is uh, today uh, connected to uh, the financial world without having banks. Now the banks are running a little bit after this, uh, this uh, situation. No. So innovation is something that is required in the, in the region. So we, we had agreements with the mobile operator like uh, MTN for the mobile payment platform that they have developed. We bought PayPal. We are the first merchant of PayPal in the, in the region. It, these were very, very uh, complex uh, negotiations because there are a lot of uh, uh, legal and regulatory issues that we had to, to solve. But more important, we convinced uh, PayPal to accept debit card because in Africa you have very, very low penetration of real credit card. Less than 1% of the population has a credit card. Mm -hmm. I think it's 0.4% of the population has credit card, so actually inexistent. But debit card started to be more and more uh, popular. So it means you get a card, you go to any bank, you go to any uh, uh, microcredit institute, you can top up with $1 or $50 or $100, but you can top up your card. And PayPal would accept it, would check it, and then mm -hmm. would deduct the money from that and pay for the top up. So just the message, we brought PayPal to the country, immediately generated uh, additional visibility. So it's a give and take. You want to, to get customers, you have to, to bring innovation, to bring new services, to convince that you are really interested in the future of the country and not just selling few subscription. Okay, so there's a couple of things that, uh, that basically drove the, the growth. There's certainly, you know, the banners that you started with, the showroom, so people, because it's not something, you know, where you can just go somewhere and everybody knows what that, you know, what, what are you doing, what it is. So you have to educate people first, which is another huge challenge, right? So you, you, you did the showrooms actually to educate people so people can touch it, they can feel it, they can see how this thing works and everything. And, um, and you did the partnership essentially with, uh, with, with, the, with the university, which led to, you know, a major publicity uh, gig, you know, with several bloggers and, and, and media involved and everything, uh, which you said, uh, you know, drove the biggest subscriber um, base, I think, right? Correct. Yeah, okay. And then also you did the partnership with, with PayPal, which drove a lot more, you know, also authority, credibility in the market and everything and more exactly. visibility. Exactly. Okay, okay. Now, that was about the residential customers. The business customers, they are, they are very cautious because they've heard a lot of stories. A lot of stories, how they're, they're going to make it happen. At the end of the day, the disappointment is they are very, very large. So by convincing the residential sector that we are that what we are offering is working, mm -hmm. that our service is top, slowly, slowly we penetrated the, the business sector, which is still a, has still a huge potential. We are, we, we are working on that more and more. 
but um, the, the markets don't work independently from each other. The business sector and the residential, they are interconnected because managers which have a decent salary, they can afford to have a very expensive internet at home, expensive in their eyes, and then they are willing to, to spend the money because they want the children to get the access to the, to the same level of education. And then they see that it works, so they will take it to the office and show it to the IT managers and so on. So the, 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 the economy is very strongly dependent on the, on the individual factor. Okay, so, so how, how, did you get the, how did you get the business customers on board? Uh, Salesforce, you, can, uh, you have to go to talk to them. You can, you can do some event, you can invite them to the event, they would come, they would love it because uh, they are always open to, to learn and to see uh, new uh, possibilities. But at the end of the day, you have to, to hire people which have the right approach to the to this sector, who understand how these people are working, how they, they, they would talk to the uh, chief uh, technology officer, how they would talk to the chief information officer of a company. So it requires a lot of, uh, of, of uh, uh, people skills. So the people that we are taking, we make sure that they are coached, first of all, for sure. But then that when they go out, they get a list of people they want to meet. We, then we check how they, meet, they met them, how the discussion went, and so on. So it's it's a personalized uh, sales approach. I hope that one day it will change and it will become like here, that uh, you go to the internet, you see the best offer, and then you, you order it. But we still have a very long way to go. Mm-hmm. Another, pro- another project that we did, and it's... Uh, I'm very proud of it, and not only me, but the whole team is extremely proud of it, was to, to establish the first uh, electronic or online directory of Cameroon. So it started with a, with, with a platform that uh, one of our engineers developed, and uh, he asked me for a small budget, we authorized the budget, he sent some students out, he gave them uh, cameras with a GPS inside, and then he went to shops, did the photo of the shop, what, what this shop is doing, uh, they went in, they asked for the phone number, sometimes they got it, sometimes they didn't get it. But while they were doing the photo and having the GPS coordinates, they solved a major issue which is uh, permanent uh, jeopardizing some of the development of Sub-Saharan Africa. Many large cities, because of the fast growth of the, the cities, you know, cities can move from uh, 2 million to 8 million inhabitants in 10 years. Wow. Try to be, to to build a new quota for five hundred people in Zurich, yeah. and you will spend the next ten years with all the authorities to to discuss it. So streets don't have name. Mm-hmm. So you want and the and houses don't have numbers. So if I'm looking for the house of a friend for to go for dinner, it would tell me in the third, first interception next to the gas station of a, a Libya, oil Libya. You go to the right, and then you will see this uh, this uh, TV tower, or you will see whatever. You will see the spirit shop uh, called X, and then you take that to the left, and so on and so on. This is the description how you find uh, a place. Now, the alternative is to have GPS, and then people go on Google Map, on Google World, and then they can see where is the place they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And that was something new. So we, we matched Google Earth with the directory, with the photos. And <coughs> and at the end of the day, we started to, I think, if I remember right, with uh, 2,000 uh, users or 2,000 companies. And today we have over 13,000 companies 
So approximately more than half the, of the economy of these two big cities is already online. <coughs> the fascinating part of this is that uh, these uh, small and medium-sized enterprises, they are confronted with the fact that they are online. We send out sales team, we show it to them. The sales process is very long because for them to buy computers sometimes it's extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. The average uh, annual revenue is about three, four thousand euros. You have to excuse me one, one moment. <coughs> if the average revenue is uh, three, three, four thousand uh, euros on an annual basis, for them to spend five hundred euros on a on a computer is a significant spending. But Slowly, slowly it happens, and today, uh, today uh, the directory developed a job search uh, engine, and it's the number one so job search uh, platform in uh, Cameroon. And this was developed internally by some uh, young engineers. When I say young engineers, I mean young engineers. They are 23, 24, 25 years old. Okay. These are, and they are among the older members of the team. All right, so you basically took this internal development and rolled it out as a major project. So, I mean, you know, this, this was, it was able to, you know, for you to enlist a lot of these businesses, right? I mean, to get access to them and get access to their, you know, details and everything. So it was, it was a brilliant move there. Yes. Uh, okay. It's a very, it's, it's, it was, it's a very uh, rewarding project because now we can convince, we can call companies, mm -hmm. say, we are from Yumi, the parent company, or it has another name. It has the, the name is EC.CM, which means in French uh, or actually in English here.CM. CM is the country code of uh, Cameroon, and uh, we are the parent company of that. And we would like to meet you. So directions are positive. So the, the creative sales approach or the classical uh, below the line sales support is is very very. Uh, strong in these markets. Okay, so that, that was a great way to get a foot in the door and then, you know, able to establish some credibility and, and establish some trust with them and then, you know, and make the upsell at some point, um, you know, to the uh, to the service. So that's, that's a brilliant move there. Excellent. So a couple of other questions that I have. In terms of raising money, um, you know, with this project, have you financed all of this by yourself or have you got uh, external investors that you got on board? I assume you read Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, uh, you see BBC World uh, in the economy and so on. And everybody t speaks about investing in Africa. I don't want to be rude, so I skip this word at what it is. It's, uh, it's pure air. At the end of the day, the big funds want to have big projects. There are no, not many big projects in Africa. To build another road, to build another water purification plant, doesn't change anything in the development of the company of the country. What the people need is access to technological capabilities, internet, mobile phones, uh, there are tons of other which we don't touch. This project don't require 100 to 200 to 300 million dollars. So if you go to the World Bank and they will tell you well, we are strong in Africa, they are not strong in Africa. They are strong in building harbors where half of the money disappears in the pocket of some corrupted uh, people there. They are very strong in building roads, which wouldn't help the, the next rain season, because no, nobody is supervising the quality of the roads. And these civil servants sitting in Washington or wherever, they are, or in, in many places, they believe that they are supporting the development of the continent. It's not the case. The continent is today developed by thousands of humans like we are. 
Chinese, European, American, and so on. If you are looking for funding this type of operations and you need initially funds of anything between two to $10 million, you are going to run your head bloody against the world. Because all these, all these uh, funds will promise you, yes, we like your project, we fantastic project. Ah, right now, you know, we have these other headaches. Very important project, where is the project in Uster, uh, Switzerland, or in Frankfurt in Germany, and then you say, but you, you're right here. Uh, corporate uh, social responsibility is one of your uh, driver. Yes, yes, but you know we have a historical project, so make some money available. Nonsense, they will not do it. You go to companies, and here I will name uh, precisely uh, name companies like Cisco. You see an uh, executive vice president of Cisco sitting in the World Economic Forum and telling all the people there, we are here to help the continent. We are here to to, to develop, the, the, to reduce the digital divide. The same you see from Intel, executive vice president from Intel, so one level below the executive board of Intel sitting there, the World Economic Forum, telling the same stories, we are here to help, to change, to develop, and blah, blah. Now you have the university project. You say, we are financing it, would you give us the, the, the equipment for free or for a highly discounted price? For free, we cannot do it, but we give you a, a, a high discount. And then you get the device, the, the price for the device. And it's three times more expensive than you would buy it in your So you write him an email and you tell him, so here the offer my office in Zurich got for the same equipment that you're offering me for three times the more. And you never hear again from these people. And it's right for Intel, and it's right for Nokia, and it's right for Cisco, and it's right for Ericsson. So all these glo global technology companies, when they tell you they are there to support uh, the environment, they don't do it. So that means if they have a fund which is investing in technology, they will write a lot of, of, uh, of ink on the web pages and other places, but re in reality, they are not telling the truth when they are telling you that they are going to finance. So, so, how did you go, uh, so how did you? Sorry, to interrupt you. But so how did you go? I mean, I mean, this is a huge challenge. I mean, you know, obviously you needed funding for this. Obviously. Oh. So how how did you go about this? Where did you find the right investors then? So you go to family offices, people which are very wealthy and which have an affinity to Africa. You have a lot of them. So there you find money, but there you the the, the amount of money which is invested is limited, single digit million amount. So. It helps, it's very, it, it contrib contributes a lot. So they would put anything between one and, and up to five million euros or dollars. But at the end of the day, you can't run after 10 guys to, to, to do the fundraising because well, you would spend all the, the time on fundraising instead of working in the, in the company. So at the, at the end, you find yourself uh, financing is a lot by yourself. Uh, and over time, more and more, because you, you started to be uh, tired of the explanation why these funds don't invest, and the list of funds who tells you that the, the project is great, but yeah, we are not going to invest because of 1,000 different reasons, which are at the end of the day the same one, they don't want to take the continental risk of Africa. Mm -hmm. That's the one side, so you have to finance it yourself. And the other side of the coin, which is even worse, there's a lot of uh, political unwillingness to bring Africa to the next stage of uh, development. So move away from uh, shoes factories, move away from uh, 
palm oil uh, plantations and to move to the technology and they don't do it and that's something very sad so it, it's a situation where it's extremely difficult to jungle to, to jungle among these situations and uh, either you find the, the, the right uh, the right family offices the right wealthy people um, or you uh, you drop the project on the way okay and um many, many good projects which have uh, mm -hmm. lost the steam because of that. So, you know, uh, based on what you know now, based on that experience with, you know, raising money, um, it, you know, if somebody, if, if there's a startup, if there's, you know, a new venture um, looking to raise money for a project, maybe in Africa, but also maybe in, a, you know, in another region or other industry that is maybe not the most lucrative, you know, Silicon Valley internet startup, <laughs> what, what, what would you recommend to, you know, somebody like this? Sure. Um, Get, get a very strong, uh, very, very strong local partner. Don't give him too, much, too many shares, but give him some shares. But it's somebody who is very well connected and who is fascinated by the project. Because in every emerging market, you have very wealthy people and you have a, a lot of local, uh, either family offices or smaller funds. And concentrate on those funds. Stop traveling to, to London, st stop, uh, stop traveling to, uh, travel to the to New York and other places and talking to those huge funds because at the end of the day they will tell you yes fantastic we're lucky but then ah, anything below 100 million we don't do mm -hmm. ah, you know right now we are putting another fund in place if you want to be successful and you start with a project which would need anything below five millions make sure that you have access to private individual to family offices this type of a uh, source of funding or even maybe uh, some uh, very strong uh, uh, social uh, investment investment fund. There are quite a few of them, but talk to them at the beginning. Get the commitment, not a verbal promise. Get from them a written uh, commitment to invest. Five hundred thousand, one million. Interesting enough, governments in uh, Western Europe are willing to uh, support this project directly. So not uh, through uh, these uh, sovereign funds, because at the end of the day, these, uh, these sovereign funds are, are looking on really to invest either in other funds or they, they look for very, very large uh, projects. They don't have the capacity to manage a small amount. But governments are very open, uh, interested and open to discuss it. But again, with governments, you need a lot of uh, patience you know, to convince. They are very afraid, they are very cautious. They don't want to see the money disappearing in some cor corruption environment. But it, the, the source of funding is quite limited today for, mm -hmm. for African projects. Okay. And eventually also for other emerging markets, I assume. Okay. Okay, that's great advice. Thanks for sharing that. So, um, you know, just uh, quickly going back one step to, to the growth again, uh, I just want to uh, touch on one topic, which is partnerships. You know, you talked a lot about, um, you know, instead of hiring an expat, you know, going for somebody local who has relationships, who has maybe relationships into, you know, into the business accounts, um, but you also talked you know, about partnership with, with PayPal and things like that. So I'm just curious about this topic. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about like, what, what was the importance of partnerships in the whole development of, of this project? Yes. Um, it, if I look today in, on the last uh, five years, there are quite a few partnerships who help us to, to move ahead. We decided for a vendor for our LT equipment. It's uh, Alcatel Lucent. And we sat with, with Alcatel Lucent, they gave us an offer, we discussed the offer and so on. 
And for us, it was very important to see that it's not some headquarter people in Paris or wherever are, are the ones who are, who are conducting the negotiations. But they have people on the ground, mm. either locals or experts coming, but which, which have spent a lot of time locally. And once you conclude such a, you order, you pay, but once you have this, this relationship, they are much more than just a vendor. They are starting to, uh, to help you to develop the, the business. Mm-hmm. Same goes along, you need a lot of political clout. You need a lot of political support. These countries have, have a very uh, important uh, involvement of the governments in many decision making. Uh, so you, you need the support. As, a, as an uh, external person, you won't find this, this support uh, from one day to the other. Uh, and you suddenly don't want to enter the, the bribery area where you pay some civil servant money so they help you with the, the minister and so. You don't want to touch it because it's, it's uh, worse than a, a minefield in, uh, in the war area. Because once you enter it, mm-hmm. it's impossible to, to get out. Having said that, if you have the right local partner, it can bring you to whatever minister you need. Or, and by the way, you can always call the office of the minister, write a letter. I think in most of the, of the cases, they will receive you once. If, the, if you consider what you are telling him is nonsense, he will never see you again. If mm-hmm. you think that it's, 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 it's helpful for him personally or for the country, he will certainly continue to support you. So this type of the partnership that you have to, to find to make sure that you are advancing along these, uh, the, the lines that you have fixed to yourself, and um, and then you are and then you you can uh, you can advance on the project. Now my biggest lesson to, about uh, about uh, Yumi. You you can't sit uh, in Europe or whatever where it's uh, nice and uh, the the clean water. Uh, you can just take it out of the tap and drink it, and you go to the pharmacy and you have the right medicine. You must be locally present mm-hmm. with all the difficulties that it includes. If you are not present there more than 50% of your time, don't even touch a project like that. Because sometimes the partner, they always have a, a different agenda than yours. But to make sure that you control the agenda, that you have the right input, you have to be present personally. And that's, that, well, that's actually one of my biggest uh, take out of that uh, project. Okay, okay. So uh, one of the last questions that I have, when, you know, knowing what you know now with building Yumi, with building all the other companies, if you could go back, you know, six years to the start of Yumi, or even like 20 years, you know, or 25 years to the start of your career as an entrepreneur, if you could go back there, what would be what would be three things that you would tell to yourself when you could when you could go back? Three things of advice, three oh, things of oh. wisdom. <laughs> the wisdom that I got, the one I got a feedback. I gave a speech in Zurich a few months ago. And I went to uh, for lunch uh, last Sunday, and uh, somebody met my wife, a person, said, "You know, the, the speech that I gave was fascinating, Adam. But what what people most like, and it was there was a big audience of a couple of hundred people there. So what people like is modesty. You want to be an entrepreneur, remain modest. Don't think that you have any any additional driver because you are an entrepreneur. Stay modest to yourself. That's one thing. The other thing." Listen to others, even if you don't you, you don't agree, and you shouldn't agree to most of what you are told. You have to listen because many people have many good ideas, and I think after after my second company, I started to talk to people freely about my project, 
I wasn't afraid that somebody would pack his uh, suitcase and run to Africa and uh, or to uh, wherever to develop the project. Talk to people in the in the industry; they know a lot. They can help you. They can give you a lot of ideas. So that's uh, the second value, I think. And the third one: be persistent. You're going to 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 uh, to be confronted with endless amount of problems of uh, of uh, people uh, not willing to support, to help, to to let you uh, advance. Just be persistent in what you want to do. Don't be discouraged because somebody uh, didn't fulfill what, what the promise, or vendor refused to 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 do what you asked him for, and so on and so on. You have a goal, stick to the goal, but be flex flexible enough to change the goals because you know the, the environment we are working in is constantly changing and there are always new uh, challenges there. But uh, those are things are the three major driver for for an entrepreneur. Okay, wow. From my point That's, of view, it's great wisdom there. So you know, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I think it's going to be great for value for you know to to peers and as well as the next generation entrepreneurs. So last question I have. Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you, me? Where can people connect with you? To connect with me, it's very simple, through email. So uh, my, uh, my email is, uh, is also a very simple one, my private one, not a company one, because uh, we have many filters to, to make sure that certain things don't arrive into the, into the system. Uh, but my private email is uh, dov, D-O-V, at bargera, B-A-R-G-R-A.com. Send me an email. I answer usually all the emails. Sometimes it takes a few days, but I'm answering. If, I, if I'm not interested, I just say thank you very much, but it's not my field of interest. Great, excellent. So thank you so much, Dolph. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here, and uh, I hope to see you again in the next episode or at another time. Thank you so much, Dolph. Take care. Daniel, thank you very much for your time, and thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to The Aligned Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so you get updates whenever the next episode is released. And if you'd like to learn more about our other initiatives such as the Access Panel, the Private Gatherings and the CEO Collaboration Day, head over to leadersbridge.org.